You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, I'm excited. I'm excited for two, two reasons today. One is because we have a lot of the kids uh, in the church. Let me hear the kids say, whoo! All right. That, you... Yeah, okay, that sounds about right. Okay, glad you're here, buddy. And the other uh, the thing I'm very excited about is that we are going, it is the table today, and that means falling service. We're going to have a great meal together. Thank you, Karen, for making that happen, and all those who, are, who, are, who help prepare the, the, the soups and everything so that we can have uh, community uh, together. And we, I don't think we ever have soup left, do we? Not very often. We just hand it out to the teenagers and they just lick the bowl, lick the massive crock pot. So that's good. Um, well, we've been talking about prayer over the last couple weeks. And uh, today we're going to talk about something called confession, but maybe in a slightly different way than we're used to. First of all, what does confession mean? What is confession? Telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. That's an aspect of confession for sure. Release of burden. Oh, I like that. Confession is a release of burden. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Admitting your sins. Great. Yeah. Oh, that was really clear. Is it already up there? Oh, it's not. Because mine starts with admitting. (laughs) So a very basic way to say confession is to say admitting we did something wrong and that we're sorry. There's a very basic way. Now, there is an aspect of traditional confessions of the church where we proclaim what we believe. We confess what we believe. But today, I want us to think on the idea of confessing that we've done something wrong and and we're sorry. And for some of us, it can be a very scary thing. And not just for kids. It can be very scary for adults to admit when we've done something wrong. Right? Today we're going to talk about the story that many of us have probably heard before. Even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard the story. Now don't call it out. Don't show the image. Um, But you've probably, I'll just explain it a bit. It's about a boy who basically says to the man who brought him into the world, I don't need you anymore. Just give me what I want and I'm going to get out of here. And he walks into the world. You're thinking about it. Don't say it. And he walks into the world and uh, he kind of makes bad decisions and his life falls apart until he's just at the bottom of the and he decides, I'm going to go home to my father where things were better. And he comes back to his dad and his dad hugs him and everything goes well. And you're thinking, yeah, it starts with a P. It's just P and it's Pinocchio. Just as you remember, right? No, it's not Pinocchio. It's the prodigal son. Great. Or at least we often call this story the prodigal son. Today we're going to look at that story and, and we're, going to, we're going to read it out loud first because we often do that here. And uh, I'm going to have it on the screen, but I am going to invite you to stand at town center out of respect for God's word in the same way that if a, a queen or king came into the room, we wouldn't just sit back and, and scroll. We would stand up and give respect. And that's what we're going to do uh, now. Now, just to set the, the, the framework for the scripture, um, Jesus is talking to a group of people that are called Sinners and tax collectors. These are people who have left the people of God or people who are just making bad decision after bad decision. And then there's another group kind of outside that circle called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the people who think they're the closest to God, that they've got it together, that God is patting them on the head all the time. Well, good job, Pharisees. You're doing such a good job following all the rules. And so you have this this group of tax collectors and sinners. You have Pharisees on the outside and you have Jesus right in the middle loving on the tax collectors and sinners and spending time with them. And so these, these Pharisees get pretty upset. Now, before we read this, 
Have you ever maybe thought that these people, these tax collectors and sinners, they probably thought they were beyond God's love. They pro- maybe, in fact, maybe the reason they continued to live in that way was because they thought, you know what, I'm not even going to go towards a God because there's no way with everything I've done that I could possibly go. Have you ever, you ever thought of yourself that way? Or have you ever been the Pharisees and go, well, that person's beyond God's love. There's no way that there's room for that one. Well, then this story is for you. So in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 24, it says this, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. That means I want all the money you're going to give me when you die, but I want it now. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there, was, there he wasted all his money in wild living, just spending it all. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. If you were Jewish in this day, the last place you wanted to be was with pigs. They were considered extremely unclean. You do not want to hang out with pigs. It was the, uh, symbolizing that you've gone the lowest your life can go. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, even the scraps that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything to eat and gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he's probably still going over his speech. Father, I've sinned against you and him. Filled with love and compassion, his father ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, <laughs> I just love this. He's still got it memorized. Like, I love you, son. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring which shows his authority in this family and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening up. It's time to eat. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then I love this last line. So the party began. I love it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. So in this story, guys, we have a rich father and we have two sons. He gave both of them wealth. Notice that both of them got wealth. One took his money and left. The other one took his money and remained at home close to his father. And Jesus is telling this story to the religious and the proud who believe that they are closer to God than those who are referred to as sinners and the rejected. So who do you think represents who in this story? Who is who? Who is whom? Who's who? You have the father who everyone will recognize is God. We have the older brother who represents these proud and religious Pharisees. And you have the younger brother who represents the tax collectors and, oh, it keeps you guessing, the tax collector and, I should say, the tax collectors and sinners. You'll notice something about this story. Nowhere in the story does it refer to the son as the prodigal. There's nowhere, that's not in the story. You know what? So why have we been using the word prodigal to explain this story and this person? Does anyone know what the word prodigal means? What does prodigal mean? What do we think it means? Wayward? Yeah. Someone who's, who's gone, the, gone the, down the wrong path. 
What's that? Ideal? I grew up, I believe, I thought it meant lost, the lost son, the runaway. It's interesting that the word prodigal is actually not a negative word in itself. We get the word prodigious from it. It means to be lavish. It means to, to give over lots of what you have. Prodigal literally means to give away without holding back. And it can be used in different ways. You can be prodigal or prodigious towards the wrong thing and give up everything to worthless things. Or you can be prodigal and give all your things up to something good. You can lavish someone with gifts or you can lavish and waste money gambling it all away. And what I love about this story is that we see these two different ways of being prodigal. They meet each other in this story. So you have this son. I have a few images because I know images help us out. So you have this son who asks for his, his finances from his dad and then he leaves the family and walks away. But while he's away, he's prodigal with his money. I, I, th I thought this would be a good. He's prodigal with his money. And he, it ends up that his life get, gets further and further and further wayward and further and further lost. He feels further and further away from the father until he ends up feeding pigs. Now, when you think pigs, do not think this. Exactly. He wasn't hanging out with those pigs. He was hanging out with these pigs. <laughs> so glad you're sitting up front. Aww. And as he's among these pigs and feeding these pigs, he's so hungry, he wants to get right down in there with the pigs and start eating along with them. And it's around this time that he comes to his senses and he senses that he's wasted his life and he makes his way back to the father. And he returns ready for his father to reject him. And instead, his father embraces him with a hug. Notice he came back to his father, not to come back as his son, but he was willing to come back and be the lowest member of the household, to be a servant. And while his dad sees him far off, he runs towards him with love and compassion and lavishes him with love and compassion. He, he made sure his son, who had been alone with the pigs, starving, realizes that he is seen and accepted and celebrated and he ran towards him. The son, did not, the son didn't come to the house and open the door and go, Dad, Dad, are you here? Or have to go find him somewhere. Why? Because his dad was on the porch, looking out, waiting for his son to come around the corner. That is the spirit of our father. Well, he was still a long way off. His dad sees him and runs towards him. So the prodigal son, who easily wasted everything he had on whatever he wanted, came home to a prodigal father who easily gave him everything he needed. This is the God we pray and confess to. This is the God we return to when we come with repentance and ask for forgiveness. But then we have the older brother in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working when he returned home and he heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? He said, your brother's back. And your father has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry. We wouldn't go in. There's a party going on. This guy doesn't want to go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once uh, refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of your, notice he doesn't even call him 
but when my brother returns, when this son of yours, I don't even want to think that I'm related to him. He comes back after wasting your money on bad choices, after being prodigal with your money and bad choices, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. I've taken nothing from you. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Pride will always keep us from celebrating. Pride always holds us back from some of the best celebrations. This son gave up on you, dad. He shamed our family. He, he rejected you, dad. He has no place here. Have we ever fallen into that kind of thinking? Those who stepped away from Jesus, stepped away from the faith, or does our heart break like the father just waiting for them to step in the doors again? Just waiting for them to call out. Because we can call ourselves part of the family of God and still miss out on a lot of the celebrations that go on in his family. Verse 28, even in our pride and our anger, the father begs us to come in. Don't be this way, son. Your brother was lost and now he's found. Join in the celebration. Do we have the heart of the father? Where the prodigal son came in, in humble and, and broken feelings, feeling he was beyond love, the father embraced and hugged him and welcomed him. And when the proud brother thought himself good enough, the prodigal father called on him to change his heart to a heart of joy over the one who was lost and is now found. Tonight, I'm, I'm super excited that I'm going to be at our Mariner campus and baptizing Negara. I don't know if Negara is here, but she, she came through Alpha and did the Next Step program. And she's going to be baptized with, with uh, another woman tonight. They're baptizing 10 people up at Mariner this morning. And you know what's going to happen when they come out of the water? Woo! Why? Because God loves a celebration. Because God loves it when new people come into his family. All the kids who were doing their bingo just went, what, what just happened? <laughs> How do you spell that? God loves a good party. Do we get excited when people come into the family? If we don't, we don't understand this family. We don't understand what it, what it means to be called children of the living God. We're too worried about the rules. We're too worried about making it, making it look right. We're too much like the prodigal or the, the, the Pharisees standing on the outside and pointing. So whether you are here this morning as the prodigal who's been away, or you're here this morning as the older son who stands at a distance, God the Father wants to lavish us with unending love and welcome us into his story of celebration. But with all that said, what I want to leave you with this morning is this. There is an experience that you can have only when you're willing to say sorry to God. There is a freedom that you and I can experience only when we're willing to step towards God and say, I'm sorry. I confess. But this story is telling us why that should always be a good thing. Why it's always a safe thing. Because our God has always got his eye out looking for us, waiting for us to come towards him and he will run towards us and embrace us. We can experience only when we're willing to confess that we've done something wrong. Wrong. There's an experience we can have only if we are willing to. The word we use is repent. There's an experience of forgiveness on the other side. Always. It's true in our relationship with each other too, isn't it? 
When our, when our kids were younger and they did something wrong, the way we would always talk about it was to say, do you like the way that makes our relationship feel? Do you, do you feel like you're closer with us now? Or do you like being alone in your room? Does that, is that a good feeling? See, that's where forgiveness comes in. It says, well, we don't have to be like that. We, we can stop doing that. When I, when, I, when, when I do not say sorry myself, when I don't jump into confession to those I love, when I get prideful, my heart gets hard. Our hearts get harder the longer we wait, the longer we hold off on confession. My anger grows and I lose a little bit of my relationship with those I love, whether it's my children or it's my wife. When I'm unwilling to say sorry to God, the same thing happens. I feel further from God and the longer I am unwilling to confess, the harder my heart grows and the further I feel from him. The closer and more comfortable and more willing I am to call home the mud and, and the food of the pigs. The, 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 the less, the less I, I am willing to confess, the more at home I feel in the mud. But let me tell you something that's very cool. With my wife, I have never said sorry to my wife. That's not the end of the statement, just in case. I have never once said sorry to my wife without her saying, I forgive you. Not once. Not once. My wife has never responded to my apology by going, well, brrr, you should be, and then read through everything. Not once. Because she has learned from the lavish forgiveness of the prodigal father. She has experienced it herself. My wife and I, I mean, we have 27 years of the dumbest arguments you've ever heard. We've covered them all. You, you do all the important ones in the first 10 years, and then it's just like this. <laughs> and never once has, uh, have I apologized her or her apologized to me, and we not grabbed that rope so quick. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like whatever that did to us. I don't like it. And we immediately try to fix it. Never has she pulled out a list. When I'm willing to forgive or when I'm unwilling to forgive, like the older brother was, there is also a hardness in my heart. There's, a, there's an unwillingness for me to look like my father. That's what our family looks like. Welcoming people in and offering forgiveness. If we are the older brother who lives a life of pride looking down on others, the father calls us to repent as well and take joy for those who are now found. Many of us, this morning might think we are like the son who left, who, who, who took a gift from God and just walked off and said, I got it from here. Some of us think we are like the son who stayed and who is better than the rest. And this story tells us that regardless of which one we are, we find our identity and our wealth in the love of the father. And the invitation in, in, in all of this is to come to God in our brokenness, in our need, and even in our pride, and ask for his attention and his love and his compassion, his embrace and his forgiveness. And here's the beautiful thing. And if you attend here, you've heard me say this over and over, but it's worth repeating over and over. On the other side of repentance, on the other side of confession, is always a God who embraces us. Always. There's never a God who pulls out a list. Always on the other side of confession is a God who is ready to embrace us and say, let's celebrate. I'm so glad you're back. Always a God who's looking for you, racing towards you. And we need to hear that. 
In 1 John 3, 1, it says, oh, there's nothing about, okay. See, see how very much our father loves us. In some other translations, it says, see how the father has lavished his love on us. He's been prodigal with his love for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. Ephesians 1, 7 to 8 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us. He's lavished us. He's been prodigal with his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. This is the God we come to. This is the God who welcomes us in. So you may think yourself the distant son or, or, or a distant daughter who is beyond God's eye, or you may think of your son, yourself as the son or daughter who has seen themselves worthy somehow of God's attention, finding pride in your ability to live a good life, or at least one that looks good to everyone else. But God puts us both in the same category. We're both in need of his, of his love. We're, we're both welcomed into his inheritance and offered the same wealth, the wealth of his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And if you were here this morning, if you wonder if, th if this is for you, uh, how do I know that God wants to lavish his love on me? How do I know that when I was far off, God ran towards me? It's easy. We look at the cross. We look at the cross because at the cross, God expressed his deep desire to hold us and to celebrate us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we were still far off, Christ died for us, paid the debt of our squandering. While we were far off, God ran toward us. And this is the God we approach in prayer. Whether you are five or whether you are 50 or whether you are 80, this is the God that welcomes you into his family. The God who is ready to embrace. The one who invites you into his family, celebrates us. The God who is always on the other side of repentance. The God who is always on the other side of confession. Let's pray. God, what a gift to be called children of the living God. What a gift to be welcomed in, and even to be celebrated. And God, there, there are probably many of us who've even walked in this morning and we thought, this isn't for me. I, I can think back to some of the things I did this week where I've, I've wasted time, I've wasted money, I've wasted my thought life, and I have, I've, I've been on a wayward path. And so God, I pray that you would brand into our hearts and minds that you are a God who runs towards us. You are a God who is ready to embrace us. You are a God who is so quickly ready to forgive. And if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins. You take our sins and you throw them as far away as the east is from the west. You take our sins and you throw them into the lake of forgetfulness. That is what is on the other side of repentance. That is what is on the other side of confession. And so God, if we've come in here and we've been, we've been grasping onto our hearts, grasping onto our lives and saying, I can't trust God with this. Lavish us with your kindness and your compassion. And God, if we come in here like the older brother who, who wants to disown his brother, won't even refer to him as family. I pray that we would, we would take the love that you have showered on us and be conduits of that love and grace and forgiveness to others.
May we have hearts like yours that break over those who are lost and may we seek them out and embrace them and welcome them into the family and may we celebrate along with your global historic church and with the the choirs of heaven when the lost one is found. I pray this would not only stir our hearts, I pray it would motivate us to be your hands and your feet and your voice of welcome and peace and identity in a world that feels storyless and unheard and unseen. By your grace, we will do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.